Good morning and welcome back. Uh, this is your first time streaming with us. Uh, my name is Andy. Uh, if you're just tuning in right now this morning, this is High Point Online. And we are in the middle of a teaching series called What to Do with the Impossibly Difficult, Overwhelmingly Complicated Problem of People. I'm going to say that one more time. This is a, this is a series. We won't, I don't want to give you the title again, but it's a series about relationships. It's about the difficulty and challenge of loving people the way Jesus loves us. This requires work. This past week, uh, in one of our life groups, somebody uh, reminded us, or maybe it was a prayer call, that, sa- that said that love is a battle. And what we're talking about today is a battle. It's a battle on the inside. Now, I want to I w- I be very clear. Today, I plan to speak to you about something that's very small. It's tiny. Yet it has the ability to poison and, and, and provide toxicity to so many of your relationships. It's incredibly, incredibly toxic. So today we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about what to do about it. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. Paul, the writer who writes much of the New Testament, is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's helping them in their relationships because they've got some dysfunction junction happening here at the church in Corinth. And since we started off talking about poison and how it can impact your relationships and just a little bit of it, I figured I'd give you some facts and details about poison that's happening around our country. Even as we speak, did you know? That every 15 seconds here in the United States, someone calls the Poison Control Center around the United States to report a poisoning. Now, don't, don't freak out this morning. This is not an intention. This doesn't mean that it's an intentional poisoning, okay? But, but somehow, either someone has put something on their skin or they've ingested something, or yes, something malicious happened. And every 15 seconds, someone reports something or someone getting poisoned. In just a few short minutes that I've been talking to you right now, there would have probably been about six to eight phone calls regarding poison, toxic, toxicity. Uh, Did you know that the the most toxic substance in the world uh, is, is a substance called botulinum? Botulinum toxin is the single most poisonous substance in the entire world. Now, I brought with me, just for, to, to give you some context, this is a salt shaker. And if I just pour some salt uh, into my hand, I'm going to bring it in tight so that you can see it. But you see all these different grains of salt uh, in my hand. There's lots. There's probably thousands of grains of salt in just the little bit that I've poured into my hand uh, this morning. Well, just one nanogram of betulinum can be fatal. But what's a nanogram? Well, one grain of salt is the same weight as 58,000 nanograms of betulinum. And just one of those nanograms is enough to be fatal to you and to me. I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff is wild to me. But to take things a step further... We take betulinum and we we mix it up and we process it and then we put it in a needle. And that needle gets injected into you in a process that we call Botox. 
And the Botox, you, you, you get the injection and the poison literally deadens and, and paralyzes different muscles in your body to prevent them from creating wrinkles. Now, I think we can all agree that this process <laughs> has worked better for some people than it has for others. But is it not just wild that this is, this is what poison can do? Now, now, hear me this morning. Um, we're not just talking about Botox, okay? I want to talk to you about the nature of, of toxicity at large. And while, you know, botulinum, it is fatal to your body. We're not talking about poison today that is, that is actually hurting your physical body, at least not all that much. We're talking about a poison that poisons your relationships, that provides toxin to the people that you're trying to interact with. It poisons the inner man, the inner woman. It paralyzes your spirit. It cripples the work of God in our church and in our community and the people around you. This tiny little thing, a four-letter word, that, that doesn't feel like a very big deal yet is incredibly toxic, is this little thing that we call envy. Envy can and will destroy your relationships, and it takes just a tiny amount to spread and seep through your spirit and poison you. Poison what's on the outside and poison your spirit on the inside. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to take it from the top today. Verse 1, and we're going to read it through verse 7. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It isn't self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, Paul, he, he, he starts off this, this, this chapter in 13 by telling us what love isn't. And he's got this nice little list of things. Love does not look like this. If you, if you practice your relationships this way, you need to understand that you do not have love. You have nothing. But then he tells us that love is patient and love is kind. So love is not this, love is this. And now he reverts back to begin telling us what love is not again. In other words, we see Paul, he's, he's defining for the Corinthian church most likely what love isn't because these are most likely the actions that this young church is, is embracing. This is how they're treating one another. This is a church that's gifted. This is a church that's priding itself on what it can do. It's boastful. It's arrogant. There's envy. There's, there's competition, an unhealthy kind of competition between one another, an unhealthy love for celebrity and platform. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly difficult to imagine what it might be like to live in a community where people are competing in an unhealthy manner, where people are boastful, where they're arrogant or envious. Oh, wait, that's incredibly easy for us to imagine. So we can relate to this in an easy fashion. Love does not envy. True love, the kind of love that Jesus loves us, us with, it is not envious. Love does not envy. Now, if you're watching again for the first time, I, can, I like to nerd out on some things, okay? Yes, I like sci-fi. I like Marvel. And yes, I like Star Wars from time to time. I'm reading an autobiography right now on someone named Anthony Daniels. And it's someone for most of you that are watching, you probably don't know who that is. That name doesn't even ring a bell. And yet he is the only actor who has appeared in every single Star Wars movie. He is the voice and person behind the gold suit of C-3PO. Anthony Daniels is C-3PO. His acting is incredible. Most people would never know it. You wouldn't know that every single day of shooting, he put on that, that bodysuit and was sweating, sometimes bleeding, and unable to even sit down for 9 to 12 hours at a time. This guy put in potentially as much work or more work than any of the other actors or actresses on set. What's interesting is that when Anthony Daniels returned after shooting the very first movie, he had no idea what was going to come of it, returns to his, his community outside of London and doesn't even know that it's become a global sensation until he sees the magazine cover of the newsstand and his pictures on it, along with Harrison Ford, uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and R2-D2. <laughs> And what happened over the course of the next several months is that all of these people, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, they became global sensations because people knew who they were. They were the ones who were making all the money. They were the ones who were getting all the interviews. They were the ones who were getting all the accolades and all the this and all the that. And no one knew who Anthony Daniels was. And yet he had one of the most critical and imperative roles throughout the entire franchise. And he writes about his envy that began to seep in and how it nearly ruined him as a person. It's an incredible book. Envy has a way, if you are not careful, of destroying your relationships. Envy is when you want something someone else has. Now, to be clear, let me say that again. Envy is when you want uh, what someone else has. Jealousy is when you're worried about someone trying to take what you have. So envy is when you want what someone else has. Jealousy is when you're worried about someone taking what you have. So a way for us to understand this is that you, your friend drives home in a brand new convertible. You see that convertible and you think to yourself, man, I really want that. Jealousy is when your, your best friend drives home in that brand new convertible, but instead of taking you for a ride in it first, they take somebody else. 
and you look at that person who's riding in the passenger seat and you feel entitled to what they have. You, believe, you think that that belongs to you. That experience belongs to you. That relationship with the driver belongs to you. And they have taken it from you and you become jealous. Now, I'm talking about both of them because many times we use the words envy and jealousy interchangeably. The Bible does. And for our purposes today, we're going to use them in synonymous fashion. But Proverbs 14.30, it says that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy has a way of, of working inside of you. And you know what this is like when you, you can't stop feeling what you feel and you feel threatened by the person. And, and it's somehow they've become a threat to your happiness and your joy. You have envy and, and jealousy and, and somehow subtly they, they've almost become like an enemy to you. You can't shake it from your mind or more importantly, your heart. And what is in your heart begins to rot. Is envy rotting any of your relationships today? Think about it for a minute. Where is envy knocking on the door of your heart today? I can promise you, there's not a person who is exempt from this thing encroaching on the inside. If you have food allergies, um, or if you have children who've had food allergies, and you know what this is like, where you have to like scan the ingredients of every single piece of food to make sure that like you know dairy isn't in there, for instance. This is what we have to do regarding envy. It's not like you just pray this one prayer one time, and you repented of your sins, and you got baptized, and now you're free forever from ever experiencing jealousy or envy. That's not how this particular Sin works. It's always knocking on the door, whispering to your heart, whispering in your ear, whispering into your eyes as you look out at what everybody else has and what you seemingly don't have. And this is the, the deceptive nature of envy today. This is why it's so toxic and why it only takes a tiny amount to get inside your heart to begin to produce rot is, is that the root of envy lies in dissatisfaction with what you feel God could have done for you, but instead did for somebody else. See, many times we think envy is this personal thing. Like, it's just my issue. It's just my deal. It's just, it's just me. I, you know, I'll deal with it. It's no big deal. Nobody even knows about it. But what is in your heart never stays in your heart ever. What's on the inside will come out. And here we find ourselves, you know, the, the, the deceptive nature again of, of envy is that you think that this is purely between you and somebody else, but the root of envy is actually an issue in your relationship with God. It's cloaked. And you think your dissatisfaction is purely between person to person. It's actually between you and God. Because deep, deep, deep down, you feel entitled to what somebody else has that you don't. And if you're somebody who's put your faith in God today, what that manifests is this, this dissatisfaction in what God could have done. But he didn't. 
And so now you have rot happening and poison happening, not only in your relationships with people, but your relationship with God. We see in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see this happening with David, the slayer of Goliath and King Saul. Oh, we see this pattern happening throughout the Bible. But there are some significant moments I want to bring to light. In chapter 18, verse 6, David returned from killing the Philistine, Goliath. And the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul, playing songs of joy on timbrels. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul became very angry. This saying did not please him. He said, they have given David honor for ten thousands. Hear the tone. Hear the agony in his voice. They've given David honor for all of this, but they've only given me honor for thousands. Now what more can he have but to be king? What's he taking from me? David's now becoming his enemy, his threat to his happiness and joy. And Saul, the Bible says, verse 9, was jealous and did not trust David from that day on. Some of your translations might say envious. Saul was jealous and he didn't trust David from that day on. Verse 10, the next day, a bad spirit from God, sent from God, came upon Saul with power. And he acted like a crazy man in his house. This is what envy will do to you. It opens your heart up to far more dangerous things than just this little feeling that you have. Envy and jealousy, it will, it, will, it will work in your thoughts and your minds, and you can literally be, you can act like a crazy person from it. And you see the writers in the New Testament in nearly every letter to the early church, from Philippians to Galatians, Ephesians to Corinth, there is a mention of envy. Why? Because every single person has to guard their heart against becoming this way. We live in a culture of envy. You can be envious of literally everything. Envious of somebody's hair. Envious of somebody's income. Envious of somebody's job. Envious of somebody's family. That family that they have, it's, it's drama-free. And you long to have a family like they have. If you're single, you can be envious of somebody who's married. If you're married, you can be envious of somebody that's single. That's not great. P.S. You can be envious of the ability someone has to lose weight while you're in the gym slaving away, it feels like, just to lose one pound. You can be envious that someone is able to go on the vacation that you long to be able to go on. But you can't. You can be envious of someone seeming the incredible spirituality, their gifts, their platform, their celebrity, anything and everything. And the internet has made it so that the world is accessible to you for comparison. So there's literally no one off limits 
by which you can be envious of. And so the danger of this poison seeping in and seeping out is greater than it's ever been before. James writes in chapter 4, Jesus' brother, he writes in chapter 4, verse, verse 16, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Meaning envy and, and selfish ambition are, are the doorway for so many other problems and so much other sin and so much other toxicity and poison in a church or in a community or in a people group. This is like the gateway for it. Uh, again, if you're, if you're online with us today for the first time, uh, one of the reasons we're online is because we don't have a building right now. Pandemic hit nearly a year ago, and our public school that we rented, um, for understandable reasons, reasons that we fully support, uh, made it so that churches, our church in particular, couldn't rent at this particular time or juncture. And so even if we had wanted to, we didn't have a facility uh, to meet in as a church. And we're working towards that. We've got a welcome back plan. You can catch all the information on our website about that. But I have this pastor group that I'm a part of every two weeks, and we get together as pastors and we pray. And this past week, you know, we're sitting around drinking coffee and cheering each other on in, the, in, the, in the, our kingdom work. And there's four of us there and two of the pastors as we're talking about life and great things that are going on. Two of them talk about being given buildings for their church. Now, I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee and I'm just so happy for you. Right now, <laughs> right? I could feel, I literally could feel this thing creeping into my heart where I didn't want to rejoice with them. Because somehow their gain and their success, it felt like it was standing in the way of my joy and my happiness. I don't have what you have, God even though it didn't feel this way, I didn't hear this voice, I didn't articulate it out of my mouth. Yet ultimately, what was beginning to seep in in seconds was, God, how on earth can you do for them but you have not done for me? I've been here longer. I've served here longer. I've worked here. I've labored here. I've done this. And, and, and all of a sudden, the justifications start rolling out of your mind. And what comes in your heart can start, begins coming out of your heart. God, I deserve this. And envy begins to knock on the door. And I could feel it. You're telling me, just to be clear, you, somebody gave you this church? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a church that, was, that wasn't going to make it, and they wanted to hand it off to somebody, so they, they gave it to us. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's got like 20 acres. It's got multiple venues. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I am so happy for you. <laughs> right? This is, sometimes you've got to just fake it until you make it in your heart a little bit here. We're going to get to some action steps here in just a second. Right? But just full transparency. 
Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm exempt from being envious or having jealousy. In fact, the supreme example of this is literally in the heart of the most religious and the most spiritually knowledgeable people throughout all of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 27, the crucifixion of of Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is what the Bible says in verse 15, that at the Passover feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Jesus has just been arrested. He's, he's had an a, a, a insane trial that was illegal. And they bring him before Pilate. When the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Verse 18, for he knew that it was because of envy that they handed him over. See, the religious leaders of the day, at the, at the end of the day, what drove their actions more than anything else was envy. They were envious of who Jesus was and what Jesus has. And it felt as though Jesus Christ The perfect one, the one who embodies perfect peace and love and joy in all the fruits of the Spirit. He's the one who somehow is robbing them. I don't think so, but that's what envy does. It can make you go crazy to the point in this case of literally having Jesus crucified. Oh, make no mistake about it. The crucifixion is gripped by the sin. Of envy. Crucifixion is gripped by envy. Cain in the in Genesis is 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 jealous of Abel. Saul is is envious of David. The Pharisees are envious of Jesus. And really, if you get into the, the heart of things, the, the, the original sin, so to speak, not of mankind, but, but 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 what drove Satan being thrown out of heaven was envy of what God had. He wanted the same worship that God had. So what do we do about this toxic poison that, that, that infiltrates our heart and our relationships? Envy destroys relationships over and over and over again. And make no mistake about it, it's rarely the person that you see from a distance that you truly have envy of. It's the person that you have proximity with. It's the person that you know. It's the person that has success. And, and, and you, maybe you guys started off in, at the same place, but all of a sudden, they've outpaced you in some area of their life. They're having gains that you wish you had. And you find yourself being envious. So what do we do about it? I'm so glad that you asked. It's not easy. But I'm going to give you two things to begin doing that are gospel-centered actions, loving like Christ in this moment. Number one, if you're going to overcome envy in your heart, you're going to have to begin to learn to celebrate the person or people that you envy. 
that means it's going to be someone that most likely that you know. You've got to cultivate the ability to, out of your mouth, congratulate, celebrate, cheer on, and praise the person who has what you wish you had. You've got to train yourself to begin doing this. And this is work. Why? Because love, it is a battle, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the message. Celebrate the person that you envy. Bless the work of their hands. One of the ways that you can do this is literally as you're praying and you pray out of your mouth, out loud for them, begin to thank God for them. The person that you feel, if it's the pastor, for instance, who got the building that you secretly wish that you had, right? Although there's no secret about it. Number one is sitting there, seeing that creep. There's there's a, a need in that moment to steer my own emotions by the power of the Spirit and put them under the authority of Christ. And because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and inside of you, you can do that. It can, you can ask your emotions to surrender to the authority of Jesus. And therefore, with your actions, begin to thank God for them. We had a moment of prayer, you know, at this moment with with these pastors. And I knew in this moment it was imperative for me to be the one who prayed. And literally begin to thank God for what God was doing in their lives and in their churches and in their ministries and in our community. And God, thank you for these, these men. Thank you for their families. Thank you for the labor that they're, that they're exerting on behalf of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would bless the work of their hands. I pray that there would be so many people who come to faith through uh, their churches, through the property. I pray that they would have the, the, the best uh, services and the best events and the best taxes and all the things you just, that you'd work on their behalf. Give them favor and begin. This is what I have to do. Celebrate what God was doing. When you find yourself envious of someone, begin to thank God for them and celebrate who they are and what's happening in their life. And you know what? Take it a step further. Look them in the eyes and tell them how happy you are for them. And yes, sometimes you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to work to be able to do that. Don't just fake it. But get your spirit in a place where you can genuinely rejoice in what God is doing. Begin with prayer. But open your mouth and do it. This isn't something that can just stay quiet and silent inside of you. You must open your mouth and let the words come out. Otherwise, something else will come out. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Man, cheer each other on and build each other up. That's number one. And number two, I want to encourage you to name your sin. See, many times we just, we know we're dealing with something and we kind of carry it around like it's this little pet, 
you know, that we, we grow comfortable with. It's not the rabid dog, you know, that somehow is going to take you down. But it's this, it's this little thing, it's this nagging thing, but you don't realize in this particular case that it's, it's deceptively toxic and poisonous. And what you have to do is name your sin. You can't overcome what you cannot and will not acknowledge. If you're going to overcome envy, name it and repent of it in your life and turn to Jesus. Give him these places in your heart that are becoming hard. These places in your heart that have become uh, just valleys of pain. You've got to give that to him and surrender it to him. And Jesus, he is a good and faithful Lord. He is our savior today. But not only does he save us from our sin, but he still continues to meet us in our need. And I need Jesus on a regular basis. Where does my help come from? The Bible says my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is where my help comes from. Not just a one-time moment when I repented, got baptized, and experienced the forgiveness of my sins, but every day I need more of Jesus. Every day when my feet swing over the side of the bed, I need Jesus in my life. Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I choose your way. Jesus, fill me with your spirit that I might love others the way you love me. And if you have put your faith in Christ and you are choosing to follow him, then your love will begin to look for others like his does for you. And that love does not envy. His love is not envious. James 5.16 as we close. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Name your sin. Don't be afraid of it. Name it. Give it to Jesus. Turn away from it. Ask others to walk with you about it. Walk with you through it. Ask you about it. Hold you accountable. This is what we get to do in Christ's church. This is part of the blessing of community as we grow to become more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you in this moment that you have called us to love like you love. And in this particular case, Lord, we have all been affected by envy and jealousy. But today we say enough is enough. Today we name this sin and we turn from it. Lord, we repent from it and we give it to you right now. Take this from us, God. We name this thing. We are not afraid any longer to call it what it is. God, we're struggling with it. Here it is. Nail this to the cross. And Father, we also choose out of our mouths to bless those that we have looked at as somehow almost the enemies of our happiness. Enemies of our joy as if somehow they've robbed us or taken from us. Lord, they haven't. And today, we choose out of our mouths to bless and be grateful and thankful for what you're doing in other people's lives. We can be content and we can trust you because we know that you love us. It's in the name of the glorious and mighty name of Jesus that we say, amen. Love you, church. Great to be with you today. Love 
does not envy. See you next week.